Hi, and thank you for joining us for In All Things, a weekly podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. I'm Rachel Joseph. Your host for In All Things is Dean Weaver, State Clerk of the EPC. The motto of our family of congregations is, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. Now, here's Dean. And thank you again, Rachel Joseph. Appreciate that introduction as always. And thank you to those of you who are listening in again to another edition of In All Things, a podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. And many of you know, and if you don't already, we drop a new edition every Friday. We're into our second year, and we've had well over 10,000 people who have clicked in and dropped in and been a part of these conversations, and they're sharing it. People are realizing these are really helpful conversations, interesting conversations, conversations that are gospel conversations. And yeah, they start for the EPC family, but really they extend well beyond that and are beneficial for anybody. So for example, if you're interested in learning more about church planning, which is a big thing, not just domestically here in the United States, but church planning is big globally. It's big locally. It's the way in which God seems to bring the gospel to people who haven't heard it before. And if you want to learn more, well, then today is the podcast for you. We're really excited to be offering a a multi-part series on church planning. And today our conversation is with Sean Robinson. Sean is a a member of the uh, EPC's National Church Planting Leadership Team. In fact, he has been from its inception, which means he's super old. He's been around for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he is the, the founding pastor of Clayton Community church in Clayton, California, which is in the East Bay area outside of San Francisco. And he's been there for around 27 plus years. He started when he was only about 10 years old. So Sean, uh, welcome to In All Things. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you here and looking forward to our conversation. And before we do and, and dig in, we want to give a shout out to one of our gospel priorities, as we often do in the podcast appropriate for today. We want to talk a little bit about church planning. When you come to our 43rd General Assembly and Gospel Priority Summit, June 20 through 22 at Cherry Hills Community Church and outside of Denver, Colorado, one of our speakers is going to be a guy by the name of Mike Carrion. Mike Carrion works with City to City. In fact, he's the vice president for movement leadership in City to City. And so he is a, a really great speaker and expert. I think it's going to be super interesting and helpful And if you're not familiar with City to City, it was founded by Redeemer Church in New York City under Tim Keller. And as Tim transitioned out of his role as senior pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church, he moved into a full-time capacity with City to City, focusing on ministry in global cities like New York. In fact, I have a really good friend in Buenos Aires, Argentina, that their church is part of the City to City network and real good friends with the EPC. And so it's a real strategic church planting movement focusing on uh, the world's larger cities, but applicable church planting principles that carry just across the board. I think Mike is going to be a fascinating speaker. One of the things we're doing this year different at our General Assembly is there won't be competing venues when a plenary is going on. So that is to say there won't be other options available. We want to see everybody in the sanctuary for when the plenary occurs for world outreach or the plenary occurs for effective biblical leadership or discipleship, or or in this case, when the plenary occurs for church planning, we want to have everybody there to hear Mike Carrion speak 
Because our dream, our goal, our aspiration and hope is that every one of the EPC churches would be a parent, a partner, or a patron. You'll hear more about how that's possible and why that's healthy for your church to consider. Now, the good thing about that is we have a guy here today who's not only been in on the inception of church planning from day one in the EPC, but he himself has not only planted a church, but has helped with three other church plants as parents, partners, and patrons. So we're going to dig into those definitions and how churches can do that. Because I think a lot of churches think, well, that's not, that's not for us. We don't have the resources to do it. We don't have location to do it, or that's just really not us. But I think you'll see that every one of our churches can participate in some way in terms of this really global movement around the idea of planting churches. So Sean, before we get into those kind of particulars so that people get to know you a little bit, why don't you give us a quick run on your bio? Where were you born, called to faith, and and how did you end up being a church planner? Well, that's my story, so I know it. So um, (laughs) I grew up in the church, didn't think I'd ever be a pastor. In fact, my, my path was set. I was going to go to a major university. I was going to major in marketing. I was going to live in Southern California, marry this girl. None of that turned out. But in that process, I remember the one who was the biggest part of my faith journey was my mom. You've probably heard that story many times before. People have a praying mother. And so for me, my mom was the real deal. She wasn't a pastor. She wasn't anyone famous. She just was a faithful servant of Christ. And, and through that witness, I thought that's the type of, type of person I want to be. Wow. And I remember that it was in that starting in high school, I went through a time where I, some things weren't going well, and I felt like, you know, I just could never be good enough. And that's when the God who was so far away came real close. And I just remember that transition. I couldn't give you a day or a moment, but I remember Jesus suddenly became very real to me. That changed everything. And mm-hmm. I remember when I went to college thinking I was going to be this business major, the one who encouraged me most in ministry was not my youth pastor in went church. It was a professor at my college, USC of all places. But that was a time when he just says the church needs people that have business skills or some practical expertise. And he says, Sean, you've got that. You need to use that. And I, and I was blown away that this guy would encourage me with that. Right. When I graduated from college, I started volunteering for Youth for Christ, Campus Life. And I remember just talking with kids, and kids were coming to Christ right and left. And it was just, it was so much fun. I mean, I was praying with kids except Christ on golf courses and restaurants and McDonald's. And then the leader asked me if I would speak. And I was like, uh, I don't know if I'm a speaker, but he said, just give it a shot. So I spoke to the group, shared my story. And uh, some kids came to Christ and said, that really meant a lot to me, which surprised me because I thought I was never going to do that ever again in my life. The more I got into this, then they asked me to be a director, club director, then an area director. And I was like, people get paid for this? I I was kind of floored by that because I've never seen what I do as a job, really. I mean, it's just something you just feel so compelled to do. And I think the the more I got into it, the more I saw that the church was really a place where people were to be equipped for the long term. I would see kids come to know Christ in in campus life, but then after high school, what was next? And the ones that were, I got connected to a church, those were the ones who just became long-term disciples. Mm. And so for me, that was a time I really saw the value of the church, which surprised me because I had gone to seminary. And, and when I was in seminary, I felt like I was always playing catch up because I didn't go to undergrad Christian school or anything like that. But when I was in seminary and had to do an internship at a church and saw that the church needed people who had a heart for evangelism, had a heart for seeing others come to Christ, I realized that the reason the church wasn't doing it is because a lot of people like me would go to these parachurch organizations, which are very good, don't get me wrong. 
but I saw the church just being so much more equipped long term. And so that's when I decided, okay, this is where I'm going. I yeah. think we have a, unfortunately, we've witnessed in the last number of years a degrading ecclesiology. That is to say, people have had a lower and lower view of the church. And I just, I read somebody that I, I know on social the other day put something up like, you know, you don't have to go to church to pray to God and you don't have to, which is, which is true. And yet at the same time, your point about long-term sustained discipleship, apart from God's design, which is his body, the church, and being grafted in. So you went from parachurch to in the church, but how did you end up deciding to plant a church? How did that come about? Well, I was a youth pastor. Basically, we were in Southern California, my wife and I, newly married, going to have our first baby. And the church I was entering at asked me to stay, but the denomination said I should send my resume out to 10 different places. And so I said, um, okay. So I, I really, I wouldn't call it the call of God. I just, I went, I applied for places that look good. Carmel, Walnut Creek sounded great. Ooh, yeah. And, yeah. And I yeah. remember interviewing at Walnut Creek, they called me and said, would you like to come and just interview, which I was required to do. So I said, sure, why not? And because I'd already been offered this other job, I really had no interest. So I just went and it was a great time. I thought, this is a great church, cared for the community, really was equipped. And when you talk about what are the advantages of the church, it, it really is a place to call home. And just going to this, this church, and I remember when they offered me the position, it threw me off so much because I thought our firstborn child was going to be due in two weeks. And I said, I, I can't make this decision for like two months. We've got to have this baby and got to get something. They said, look, we believe you're the one God's calling, so we'll wait. Hmm. And that's where the journey began in Northern California. This was at Walnut Creek. Walnut Creek Presbyterian uh, Church. What was, what was the position? I was a youth pastor. I thought I'd oh. always be the youth guy. Okay. And then I had been there for a while. The senior pastor left. There was an interim guy. His name was Jim Hewitt, great man from Arcadia where I grew up. He said, Sean, I see three paths for your future. You could be a senior pastor in a mega church and you do great. You could be associate pastor in a bigger church and do fine. But if you really had the guts, you'd plant a church. I know. And I was he like, laid down the gauntlet he there. Did, and if I you thought, have the guts. If you have the guts. I thought, who's crazy enough to plant a church? Because half of church plants don't succeed. But it just, I couldn't get out of my head. And as I, we started to pray, my wife and I started to pray and dream about what would it be like to be a part of a church that you just started from scratch? So this is, you're the youth pastor at Walnut Creek. Right. And the interim transitional person puts that challenge down to you and right. that seed is in your heart and you're praying about that. Yeah. And at that point, the new pastor came in. He introduced me to some people who wanted to plant a church in the Houston area. Three major churches wanted to plant a fourth church. I interviewed it. They interviewed 40 people as their first choice. Then they decided I didn't have enough experience. But I just couldn't get out of my head. You know, what would it be like to start a church? And we lived about 10 miles away from the church. And there were a lot of young families that were going over the hill, so to say, to get to Walnut Creek. But really, I, I finally went to the, the pastors there and said, I just feel like God wants me to start something out here. And they were so supportive. They said they didn't see that as a threat at the time or anything like no, that. That was the amazing thing about it. They were like, what can we do to help? And they even said, let's have a lunch for anyone who might be interested in going with you. I remember we started with 12 people. We were, went to our town in Clayton. It was a smaller town. Next so to this is 27 town. years ago. 12 I know. People, youth pastor, church is blessing this and saying, yeah, let's put a lunch on for you. And you get a bunch of people together. And, and that was the start. And, and the amazing thing was that we started to go with that denomination, which shall not be named. But, um, they didn't want to see us plant a church in that area. They said, we have the one church of this denomination in this area. And it was like 
30 people, and this is a town of 12,000 next to a town of 150,000. And so you've never seen a place that has two McDonald's in the same town, have you? And I said, well, yeah, we see it all the time. I said, look, 12,000 people, how about you take six and we'll take six? You know, I <laughs> just couldn't believe it. It was so much resistance. The pastor said, why don't you call the EPC? And I remember talking to a guy named Corbett Heimberger. He said, why do you feel God is calling you to this? Well, no one in that other denomination ever asked me that question. They just wanted to know about money and demographics. And then the next thing he said was, could we pray about that and get back to you? No one ever said that to me before. Wow. And um, called Those back. Those are two pretty good responses, right? I was so touched by that. Yeah. And I remember the first Presbytery I went to, Presbytery of the West. And there was some big issue. And from where I had come from, it really wasn't a big issue. But I remember that the moderator stopped everything. And everyone got on their knees and prayed. And I was so touched by that. You know, and so just to be a part of that, I thought, this is, this is home. My first general assembly which was at Cherry Hills Church, interestingly enough, where we're coming back to. The moderator at the time was uh, Bill Meyer. Oh, yeah. And Bill, and Bill actually had everybody get out on their knees and pray during that assembly. And I walked in, I thought, oh, my gosh, I think I, I, think I found my home. I know. That's, that's where it changed for me, yeah. really. So supportive. They, they were starting the Key City Initiative. And they wanted to do one in San Francisco. I had no idea how to do it. And they'd been praying about this. And here we came. Mm. And they gave us like half of their budget. Uh, you won't hear that anymore either. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Which at the time was like $25,000, and our church gave us that. And so we started, we, we rented a school, we rented an office, gathered all that summer to talk about what would it be like to be a church taught from the book of Acts. And by that time, we'd grown to about 50 people. And then we decided to have a launch. And I remember it, the flyer said the excitement starts September 23rd, 1996. Uh. We sent that out, and people came in this one other woman, young mom, she and her friend had done a garage sale to raise money for the church. She comes running down the hall, and she's just sobbing. And she's just, Sean, they keep coming. They keep coming. And you can see that as clear as day, can't you? Oh, every time I think about it, I can't do it without crying. Yeah, you know? yeah. In this first couple of years, we had 200 people accept Christ. I would never want to do anything else. Yeah, i got to think that God in his beautiful uh, foreplanning of this, having you go through, you know, Youth for Christ and having that, background yeah. in leading people to Christ, highly relational, but highly intentional right. about making sure the gospel is presented up front. That had to be transformative. I mean, you're as a youth person, you're highly relational. To be able to have that kind of intentionality behind a plant seems to be crucial to its success, right? You can't have a church plant and not have an evangelistic heart. That's it. And that's one of the things that I love about church planting, because right now I know Having gone through COVID, everyone's just kind of, a lot of people are just saying, we're just trying to survive. We can't even think about church planning. And then I always think about that verse in Revelation that says, remember what you did at first. And I think that as our hearts go back to why we got in this first place, we want to see people come to know Jesus. And so to me, church planning is one of the best ways to do that. Yeah. And for us, it, was, it wasn't like we were the only church around, but there are a lot of people who wouldn't go to the only churches around. There are a lot of people who still wouldn't come. And so we found that we were able, because we were new, because we were starting this new work, that there were people who would come who had either never gone to church, wanted to give it a shot, maybe hadn't been to church for years. And, and it was something that they could embrace that they didn't feel like was muddied in so much tradition and had already built their story. So I hadn't planned on going here, but I'm just going to 
kind of press pause in our conversation because I want to dig down on what you just said because I'm curious about something. Okay. Because Clayton Community Church has been now around for 27 years. Right. Is the DNA of that, which is to say, you know, one of the strategic advantages of a church plant is that people who wouldn't normally go to an established church would be willing maybe to go to a church plant because it's a place for the unchurched or it's a place that where the questions are, are openly embraced and welcomed or where they've thought about people coming in who aren't churchy, whatever it might be, there's all kinds of things built into a church plant that makes it more welcoming to people who maybe have never donned the doors of a church before. But now you're an established church. 27 right. years later, is that still in the DNA of, of Clayton Community Church? Oh, yeah, very much so. One of the things that I, I wrestle with is that when I started this whole thing, I was 36 years old when we started this first church plant. And now I'm older than dirt. <laughs> and um, I think, okay, how do we reach that new generation? And so for us, uh, a few years ago, my associate pastor uh, lived in a town about 20 minutes away. And I said, when do you want to just plant a church? And see, that's the thing. It's almost like he needed permission and I think that's important for churches to say because I think God is wanting to birth something new in, in many people's hearts, but they just want their church not to hold on so tightly, like they have ownership overall, but to release them and bless them. And so we got that opportunity to do that with our associate. And I mean, that's what Walnut Creek did with you. That's what you did right. with your associate. I mean, this idea of the established generation releasing and empowering, blessing and sending the younger generation. Right. Without strings attached. That's a gift you received that you've now passed on. And you hope that that's in the DNA of what comes from that, that they continue to do the same, right? Well, yeah. And, and I remember when I was with Youth for Christ, they had this phrase called gear to the times, anchor to the rock. And I think when I think of that, I think of um, how many times have we not been stuck in our traditions? We've had a certain way that we've kind of grown. And then to be part of something where you could just start something brand new. Because I think a lot of us think if we were to start a church today, would it look different? And I think it would. I think it would. And, and are we going to be a barrier to what God's wanting to do? Or are we going to be open? I know I just, last night my wife and I saw Jesus Revolution. Okay. Oh, great movie, right? Yeah. Just, it was great. But it was people willing to take a chance to go someplace the church hadn't gone before. Yeah. And um, Chuck Smith was pretty traditional. Like, like that was a huge risk for them, right? Very big risk. And, and that was the, the beauty of the story, right? This guy just wanted to be open to where the Spirit of God was moving and follow yeah. that. Uh, we need that more than ever. Oh, yeah. And, well, and I think also people have this misconception that church planning, you have to be that uh, parent. You know, we, we talk about one of the ways plant church is parent, which provides everything. But I'm finding more and more it's that churches coming together and networking or, or partner coming together to do something they couldn't do on their own. And then there are patrons, some people who give money, which is great. But then also, I think there's a fourth one, and it's prayer. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't care if you don't have a nickel to your name. You can be praying for God to open up new doors. You can be praying for church planners by name. You can be praying for God to do something beyond what you could do in your limited sphere of influence. I don't want to say there's no excuses, because that's a little harsh. But I think that there's no lack of opportunity. Mm -hmm. I think that's important. You've been with the... EPC church planning leadership really since that initiative was founded to say, yeah, right. we're going we're gonna to dig down on this and emphasize this. How did that happen? Where are we today? What do you expect next? Well, I was on the National Outreach Committee and a man named Roger Woodworth took me under his wing. Mm. I didn't realize he was queuing me up to be a successor. Uh, our mutual, our <laughs> mutual buddy. Oh, he's 
great man. And uh, we really connected. And, and he got me involved in this National Outreach Committee when I first started. But I had also gone through the Church Planning Assessment Center. And one of the guys that went through that with me just became my good friend. His name was Tom Ricks. Mm. And Tom, uh, like me, was planning a church. Tom and I immediately clicked. And when this National Outreach Committee said, okay, we're so broad, we're doing all sorts of things, we need an arm that's just going to focus just on church planning. And they asked Tom if he would start that. Tom called me. And in our denomination, if you're a pastor, you're part of something of Presbyterian or national or whatever. And I thought, I could be on a lot of committees, but this one sounds like a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And the great thing about it is Tom gathered all these church planning leaders who, if you know anything about church planners, they're a little bit rebels, but they also are deeply in love with Jesus. And so it has been a joy to be a part of that and to say, okay, how can we plant churches in new areas? How can we equip and empower churches and find church leaders? And so it started very much just in the traditional way. When we started, we were pretty much a white suburban denomination. If we're trying to get out of that, <laughs> hopefully. And so as that started to grow and we started to see some churches actually getting planted and getting started and getting solidified, now, when I think one of the big, I don't know if I call it a shift, but definitely something that's very important is how do we plant churches in the underserved, under-resourced areas? Right. Churches that don't have the resources to do it. How do you get that started? And it's very different. Right. Very different. And yet so crucial because there's so many people who need to know Jesus. And, and these places are places where churches have forsaken many times because it's not financially feasible. Yeah. And we're trying to buck that trend. So maybe someone who's listening today might say, I have, today might say, I have an idea for that. We'd love to hear that. That'd be great. Right. And so being a part of that team now for almost 12 years, 11, 12 years, we can't just reach people who are like us. Right. And how do we do that? Because there's so many people who need to know Jesus. All the way back to the blueprint of the church in Acts, God was bringing the nations literally to people's doorsteps. Oh. And the church was this multicultural, multi-ethnic thing from the onset. We see it revealed in Scripture that that's what God's intention is, all the nations that would be coming to him and bringing him praise. And, and you can go to the ends of the earth, and, and we do, and we should, because Jesus tells us to, but so many times the ends of the earth has come to our backyard. It's, it's different generations, it's different cultures, it's different socioeconomic groups, it's different ethnicities. And by nature, we tend to be monocultural, monolithic. We tend to look for people and respond to people like ourselves. The idea that we would have blinders where there's people in our communities and oftentimes very close in our communities who are from different backgrounds than ours, who are not served by a church or are not being reached for the gospel, and that we should be purposeful about making sure that the gospel goes to all the earth, starting with our Jerusalem. As people in our, the 7-9 team talks about one, three, and five mile radius. Right. That seems to me to be like a fundamental reset. And church planning gives you an opportunity to start that fresh, right? Because you, you look at your community and you look at demographically where you are and you realize, okay, this is who this community is made of. So we've got to target, if you will, our, our outreach to that demographic. Established churches, the demographic changes, but they don't always adjust to the changes around them, right? Well, and I, yeah, and I think that, that so many pastors or leaders might be thinking of this and saying, that sounds so exhausting. How can we even think of doing that? But how could we not, right? I don't know one church that says, we've done it. We've reached everyone. There's still more. There's still more to the story. And, you know, right now, I realize that at my age, I've got a shelf life, let's say five years. <laughs> we'll see what the Lord has in store, right? 
But I thought, man, I want to go hard the whole way. I don't want to just be one of those guys who just kind of sits and just tries to make sure we just keep all the deck chairs on the boat from going over. This is maybe a good place for us to land here toward the end of our conversation because I think this is the fundamental tension. When I was a campus minister years ago, I started with no students. Right. Then there were four, then there were 12, then there were 20. And two and a half years in, we had 100 students. What was fascinating to me is early on in the ministry, super hungry, super outwardly focused, very evangelistic. Everyone was sharing the gospel with their roommates, their schoolmates, all that kind of stuff. And we got to a certain tipping point, somewhere between 50 and 75, somewhere in that area, where all of a sudden it started turning inward. We got comfortable. Well, and it's about us. And yeah. it's about fellowship. And, and fellowship is good. Fellowship oh, is yeah. right. And Bible study is great and all that stuff. But, but the tension that I think a lot of our churches face is that inward tension versus the outward focus. And I think a lot of churches want their pastors to be their chaplains, if you will. They give us a good sermon, care for us when we're ill, help us, encourage us, comfort us. But in terms of mobilizing us, for reaching our community for Christ. Have you struggled with that as a planting churches where the church goes from this purposeful outward focus to struggling with that inward reality? Or is that buried deep in the DNA of a church so that it's always thinking about that outward focus? As a church, I've had that focus from the start. But I tell you, as we've been going along, like you said, it's easy to become ingrown, right? It's easy to just maintain and take care. And I think when we, and especially now that we are running an actual church facility, we've met in a school for 25 years. And now we're in a church, and it's really nice to get comfortable. You actually don't have to set up chairs and everything else every week. And we're like, wow, what are we going to do with all our free time? And, and yet at the same time, we're in a specific place. And like you said, reaching that one, the three, the five miles out, just caring for our neighbors. When we first came, I just started walking around the neighborhood, which is pretty old school, right? I just walked around the neighborhood and just introduced myself to my neighbors. I had more great conversations. My best conversations are in restaurants and neighborhoods and getting out from the church walls. And when I see our church family doing that and, and not having a big agenda, just loving their neighbors, which is pretty basic, right? Barbecues, whatever. But I, I just find that the heart for those that are far away from God, right? It's sort of well, and that's got to come out of the fact that we all have to remember that we were once far away from God. Yeah. When you know that you were far away and God came near, then you see other people who are far away and you desperately want them to experience the God who has come near, right? Remember what you did at first. That's the word from Revelation. Well, Sean, it's been a great conversation. have loved it. What is the thing you would hope anybody from the EPC listening in particular, anybody beyond that, but particularly EPC, you would want them to take away about church planning? The purpose of church planning is not to have more buildings. Church planning has many different faces. We have church plants that have started in breweries and homes and church buildings. For churches to say, I think church planning is not really where we are at right now. We're just getting back to normal. I would just throw out that challenge to consider remembering the things they did at first and saying, God, how do you want us to reach out to people who don't know you? And really start having those conversations. Really, it all begins with prayer. And say, Lord, who is it that you want us to reach that we are not reaching? That's our job. That's our role. That's what it means to be the church. We see who God has brought us, and we're faithful in that, but we also see there's so much more. The challenge 
when it comes to church planning is don't just write that off because it's not in your normal everyday thing, but to see that maybe, just maybe, God wants to use you and your church in a unique way to reach people that have never been reached before. And it's not too late to do that, no matter what age you are. It's not too late to do that for you and your church to reach people in your community who have never been reached before. My takeaway, Sean, from our conversation is remember the things you did at first, that passage from Revelation. Amen. That'll last. So thanks, buddy. Appreciate the conversation. Always good to talk to you. Yeah, amen. Well, my friends, that wraps up this conversation. I hope it's excited your imagination for what is possible. Perhaps your congregation has been involved in being a parent church. Maybe you come from a smaller congregation and you think we don't have the resources to do that, and you might consider partnering with other churches to do, or even just giving a tithe from your missions budget to be able to support a church plant. Or at the very least, get a picture of a church planner from your presbytery put it up on that missionary wall in your church and pray for them. Get a small group or somebody committed to just pray for that person in that church. And in that outward focus of caring for those people who don't yet know the Savior, hopefully that will have a, um, a blessed benefit to the folks in your congregation as you consider those who have yet to hear the gospel. So until the next time, my friends, this good word from God's word is always the way we end because God's word goes forth and accomplishes the purposes for which it is established and does not return void. Colossians 1, 15 through 18 says, The Son is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, All things have been created through him, and, my friends, they're for him. You see, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. For he is the head of the body, the church. We're grateful that you spent the time visiting with us today, and until the next time when we gather in such a conversation, I bid grace and peace to you. Thank you again for joining us on behalf of dean and the entire team we hope you will join us for our next episode of in all things for more information about the evangelical presbyterian church including a directory of local churches online resources and much more visit our website at www.epc.org i'm rachel joseph i pray you have an overwhelming sense of god's presence in all things today